Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Okay. So we took, we've been recording all day. Mm-hmm. We're here in person. Yep. And we took a little lunch break. We sure did. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. But our lunch break started with us walking around the farmer's market. There's a farmer's market near where Kathy's office is. That's pretty. It is amazing, but really overpriced. But it's anyway, totally that's not the point of the story. So there we are, <laughs> waiting in line for our baked goods. Overhearing, I was overhearing a conversation that the lovely like 16 year olds that were working the big good station were having and my ears immediately perked up because i heard the following question is test optional really test optional i also and one of them also said to the other you can move out of your parents house you don't need their money because you work here and i told him and then that i chimed in and said that's bad advice (laughs) i was like don't listen to her yeah generally i mean i was like sir I'm pretty sure you're not financially independent. <laughs> you may want to continue living at home for a while. That's but a general rule of thumb that teenagers are bad at giving other teenagers advice. That's true. Yeah. But I thought their initial question. Is test optional a thing? I think that's that how she thing? said it. She goes, is test optional real? <laughs> that's what right, she said. Right, right, right. That's what she said. <laughs> is that really a thing? <laughs> so today we want to talk about it. Yeah, so what let's a great, talk about testing. What a great podcast episode. We get so many questions about testing. We get so, especially now. Because there's been a lot of changes to the testing landscape in the last couple of years. Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. Keep going. Turn to face the strange ch-ch-changes. Keep going. I don't know what he says. See, you can't be on that game show with the lyrics. <laughs> I forget that. The, the, uh, time won't change me. Because I can't change time. Watch you jump in. Why am I doing all the singing? Because today? I know I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> well, I sort of know the lyrics enough. Anyways, we digress as per usual. Okay, so the, here's the question: Is test optional real? Which basically means, can I actually apply to college and not submit a test score and not be penalized for that? Mm. Yes. Answer that question, Meredith. Okay. <laughs> I will. So right now, and this could change because things do change, in the, especially when it comes to testing, mm-hmm. year to year. Yep. But right now, there is about 1,800 four-year colleges and universities in the country, more, 1,800 plus, that are either what's referred to as test optional or test free. So we should have a little vocab lesson. Yep. So test optional means that if a child takes a standardized test, the SAT or the ACT, and they want to submit their scores to the college or university for consideration, they will, in fact, be considered. Yep. That's test optional. You don't have to, but you can. It's and optional. if you do, they'll be looked at. A test-free campus is one that says, even if you submit them to us, we will not look at them. No, it is not part of our Not review. part of our review at all. Nope. Big players who have recently gone to test free would be the entire University of California system. Yep. 
Caltech is test-free. Mm-hmm. Would you like to name some test-optional places? Oh, so there's so many schools that are test-optional right now. Basically, I think every single Ivy League is test-optional. Well, MIT is dumb and whatever. We'll get there. That. Whatever, MIT. We're judging you right now. We've um, picked on MIT a cu- in a couple we, of episodes. A couple, our alma mater, USC, is Northwestern, LMU. Lots of small liberal arts colleges mm-hmm. are. So there's a ton of colleges. Tons of test-optional schools test out there. Test-optional. Yeah. And just a little history there didn't used to be so many. There used no, to be there used just to be. a handful of players. And they were name. almost always small, small liberal arts. arts colleges. Yeah. Progressive. They were not big research universities. Nope. So COVID changed the game because access to testing was nearly impossible mm-hmm. for many families. And so they were just like, you know what? We've always, I mean, and if you've worked in college admissions, this is like an age old Tale as old as time. More singing. <laughs> She's all fueled up post-lunch. <laughs> it's an age-old debate around should we be test option? Like what role should testing play in our review? Right. right. And so I think COVID was a great way for colleges to make the argument because there's even within colleges, there's lots of disagreement among the leadership about what role testing should play. Right. So for the advocates of going test optional or test blind, COVID was a great excuse to be like, you know what? We have no choice. We have no choice. So let's just see how it works for us and what our admission yeah. review will look like. It was a it. great disruptor. It was a great re- disruptor. And I think that we are seeing, you know, the world open up some more. We are still in COVID times. Let's be clear. But the world is opening up more. Kids are having more access to test sites and the ability to test. And even so, colleges are remaining test optional or going to test blind, test free free policies because they are seeing that they can actually build the class that they want and in some ways do a better job of it mm-hmm. without using testing right. as one of the markers. So, mm-hmm. so this episode's not really about is standardized testing, the sort of philosophical question about is standardized testing a useful metric to measure, say, maturity or academic Mm -hmm. potential? That is another episode. We need to get a college board. We'll have to get somebody from Fair Test and College Board. (laughs) And just let them duke it out? Yeah, let them. (laughs) Battle. Battle Royale. That would be a battle royale. No, I'm sure that interview exists somewhere. But those are two, you know, College Board administers the SAT, and Fair Test is an organization, nonprofit organization that advocate advocates for test blind and test optional policies. Yeah. So this, but we're kind of in this in between space now, where the choice to take testing is back on the table in a way that it wasn't maybe in like 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. and so now we're getting a lot more questions from families yep. about: should Okay, I- should I take tests? When yeah. should I start? Which test, SAT or ACT, is test optional? Like that, the girl at the farmer's market is test optional. Do they really mean that? Am I going to be penalized if I don't submit my scores, but like my best friend submits mm-hmm. her scores? So that's what this episode is about. That's right. So let's start with that. I think the last point that you made, which is, well, I've been penalized if I don't submit a score and the person next to me who goes to the same school, who really looks like me in a lot of different ways, Mm -hmm. submits their score. How do you answer that? Well, I feel like there's not an easy answer to that question, right? Right. So 
Will you be penalized? I don't think you'll be penalized, but I do think that if you are able, so this is what we tell students, I think that if you are able to show a strong school, you should at least try to, right? And for some kids, that's realistic and it's something that they can work towards, Mm -hmm. right? Getting a strong score, strong enough score to submit. And for like the highly selectives, those so like the single digit admission rate schools, I tell kids that they should be aiming for above a 1500. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm sorry, parents, or more, preferably, like the high score that you can get, right? And I think most kids that we're seeing submit at least are in the like 1540, 1550 plus range for ACT, like 35, mm-hmm. at least for those super highly selectives Mm -hmm. and for other just like moderately selective schools, say about 1400, right? Yeah. You're raising a couple of points. I think it's important for folks to be aware that for highly selective or selective schools. So I would say let's call highly selective sub 10%. Let's call selective sub 20%. Okay. The students who typically choose to submit those scores are students who feel really darn good about those scores. So you're going to start seeing statistically mean scores or middle 50% scores that are higher Mm -hmm. than they used to be. So that's something to be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. Is that even though fewer students are submitting scores, the ones that are, are usually submitting better scores than you might've seen five years ago, right? Definitely. So the question is, do I have my child sit for, let's say your child is a junior, just started their junior year. We know that a whole bunch of schools that we think they might be interested in are test optional or test free. Should they still take the SAT or ACT? You want me to answer it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what I would say to that. So I think students, unless there's really an extenuating circumstance and you have a whole bunch of evidence to know that the student just will not perform well on standardized tests, I do think students should try. And I think they should first choose between the SAT and the ACT. I don't think they should endlessly try both. That is a huge waste of resources and time and energy. And we'll talk about how to make that choice between those two tests. And I think they should give it a try. And then you can actually, this is one of the few parts of the process where you can actually get some real concrete data and then Mm -hmm. make some educated decisions about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I do think that they should try. And then we go from there. Yep. Agreed. I think that there's no harm in trying. So let's try. Right. And sometimes the trying is just taking a, well, we just got this question recently. I think both of us from the same family. I wonder if you got the same question, but their daughter took a PSAT, ended up getting like in the 1200 range or like sub 1200, just sub 1200 range. It was like, is it even worth prepping to try to get her mm. to a higher score? Because it just seems like it's not not possible. It's really hard to say without doing some prep. So I, I would say, again, you know, we're all about calling out our privilege and the privilege of the families that we work with. So let's just put that out there. Number one, first and foremost the kids, like when you look at the data about who tested and who didn't, it's the kids from the wealthiest of codes who are testing because they have access. They have access to prep. They have access to drive 50 miles or even fly. Had a kid fly out of state to take a test. Yeah. So that's about resources, right? right? So 
let's just call that out really quickly and then say that for which is part of why so many colleges have moved away from standardized testing that's right because they understand that it, right. it can be it's biased it's, it, well, well it's biased towards the instrument itself, itself is biased You're right but we're not doing that episode <laughs> <laughs> and you can pay for scores i you know i'm just gonna be blunt yeah you can get enough kinds of prep where you can see market improvement mm-hmm. in a score that a student just working by themselves wouldn't otherwise have, right? Mm-hmm. You can put you can throw a lot of resources behind a score that mm-hmm. can change the outcome of the score. Yep. And colleges know that. In colleges, it's not a secret, y'all. You know. <laughs> not a secret at all. The the secret to test prep is like understanding some strategy, but the biggest secret to test prep is really they're drilling you on full length tests. They're yes. putting you in a testing environment. Over they're timing and over you and over again. Over and over and over again. And those tests are long. So it is a huge time commitment. Not every kid has the ability to make for multiple reasons, but you can do it. And you know, if your son or daughter wanted to put in the work to do it, they probably can raise their score. And that's what I told this family. Mm-hmm. Back to this family. They're like, do you, do you think she could? I was like, if she wanted to put in the hours and she has the time, yeah, she probably could raise her score pretty yeah. significantly yeah. just by taking the test over and over and over sure. again. It is not fun. It is not meaningful. It doesn't grow their character. I mean, maybe it grows their resilience a little bit. <laughs> He's just like putting yourself It might grow their memorization. <laughs> their memorization. Or their... <laughs> Endurance. I think yeah, a lot about being successful right, on those yeah. tests is honestly endurance. just endurance. Yeah, I think that's true. They're long. You have to be, your attention has to be focused for a long period of time. Long period of time. And, you know, it's not a fun way to spend your weekends. Is it a necessary one? Mm, I'm not sure it is. Right? No, I don't think it is necessary. Right? I mean, I think we're getting a lot of feedback from schools that, in fact, it's not necessary. So I think the question of, you know, when you raised that question earlier of should they try, I think you and I are in agreement that we believe they should try, yeah. but for how long and with what degree of intensity, I think the answers to those inquiries become more complicated because to me, it's balancing act between, you know, like what else that kid is doing mm-hmm. and how much it would really require for them to get the kind of score that would be meaningful in the kinds of schools that they're probably going to apply to. Mm-hmm. Because if you are going to submit a score, mm-hmm. it's important that that score, if you think about sort of the components of an application as different pebbles on a scale, you want the score to be one more pebble on this side of the scale that weights a decision in your favor. Right. So if it has a neutral impact because the score is not particularly impressive, it's not worth it. Right. It's not mm-hmm. doing you any favors. Yep. So you should only submit scores when it's a plus factor in the process, when it enhances your candidacy. Right. Not when it's just. Right. Oh, I did it. Right. Right. No. Agree. A hundred percent. I think that it's really hard for families to let go of the notion that a test could actually be optional because especially, I mean, for any of us who applied to college before three years ago, <laughs> right? Like testing was not. That's not optional. Like not you, optional. You, you had to do it and it was important that you got a good score. And now you're getting messaging that says, no, actually, it's not that important. And so I think it's hard to switch gears and try to figure out if that is actually true. Well, I also yeah. think it's such a concrete component of a process that can otherwise be experienced as very qualitative, 
and subjective and opaque. Mm -hmm. So I understand the instinct because I think for a lot of families, it provides a certain degree of comfort and certainty in a process that otherwise is unpredictable. However, the score in of itself, even if it's a really great score, it doesn't mean a whole lot. (laughs) At the highly selectives, it's just not. It's always great. I don't want to take away from anybody's like test score that they're really proud of. But there are a lot of kids who can do really well in standardized testing. And that doesn't mean that they have a better shot of getting into X college unless the rest of the profile and the rest of the application also are. Also supports that. Right. 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 What would you say about when, let's say a family has is heeding our advice and they're saying, okay, we'll try with a certain degree of like skepticism, right? Like we'll try, but we're not going to indefinitely try to torture our child. Mm -hmm. When should they start trying? So what I usually tell parents is that it's so funny because my advice has changed over the years. Same. (laughs) Right? Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. When I first started working in college counseling, it was like, oh, yeah, the summer between sophomore and junior year. That's great. That's a great time to prep for tests. And now it's kind of like, well, that is a great time to prep for tests. Uh, but you might want to start even early. Like, kids are so busy now. Like, that's the thing that I find is different, right? Like, so you're saying they should start sophomore year? Yeah. I mean, I think that the summer between sophomore and junior year is ideal. But mm-hmm. what I find with more and more of my families is that they're so busy. Like, the kids are like, they're like, well, we couldn't possibly do it between sophomore and junior year because they're gone at camp for six weeks. And right. then they're at this thing for six and they have baseball at camp. And then they're at the, I'm like, oh, well, okay. So <laughs> I guess that's all to say that you should be planning way ahead. You shouldn't definitely not be waiting until the summer before senior year No, to be doing press test prep. If you have time the summer between sophomore and junior year, that does make a lot of sense. But also like- be heads up about the fact that like when you're planning summers and summer vacations and being out of the country and blah, 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 like you've got to take that all into account as you're making your testing plan, which you probably should start thinking about in sophomore year, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. I think it's probably a good idea to start kind of mapping out a calendar, like a testing calendar sophomore year. Yeah. But there are some caveats to this that I think are really important. I do think to be successful, students do need a certain amount of curriculum under their belt. So if, for example, a student is maybe less accelerated in math, that timeline recommendation may not make sense for them. They may just need like, for example, more math under their belt before they can be successful. Now, Mm -hmm. it depends on the prep. It depends on the, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of additional support. But I do think that's a good time to start mapping it out. And I think the part of our recommendation around the summer is this sort of assumption that we think somehow summer is less busy. busy. <laughs> and for a lot of families, it's not. But I think it, you're raising a, a larger point that will be true for many of the summers, especially with essay writing. The college process is going to take up, you feel like you're already busy, right? But for parents, it's important to understand that for your student, your child to move through the college process well and take care of all of the different elements in the way that Kathy and I would like, which is to say that at no one point does it stress them out so much. Right. We're spreading it out over time. It does take up a lot of time. So you'll need to adjust some of your expectations of how 
you're probably going to need to reorder some priorities for the summer or during the academic year. Now, I'm curious, Kathy, what you think. I have my own feeling about this Mm -hmm. around the difference between, oh, we're going to take, we're going to pursue test prep. Mm -hmm. So you've already made that decision. We should talk maybe about who should or shouldn't pursue test prep. Yep. And do I, but we've already decided we're going to do that. That's right for our family. So what we're going to have our child do is take, meet with some class once a week for the next eight months Mm -hmm. versus, oh, we're going to do like this six-week kind of intensive experience. Yeah. Boot campy thing. Kind of maybe two to three months in advance of the first sitting of the test. Which do you prefer? Yeah. And this also reminds me of the question of what type of prep should we do? Should they prep on their own, do some Khan Academy stuff by themselves, or should they get a one-on-one tutor, or should they be signing up for a class, a bigger company? So there's different options in terms of test prep too. But to your question, what was your question? About long and drawn out? (laughs) Oh, long and drawn out. That's right. I'm like, what was your question? Oh yeah. Long and drawn out. Or short and intense. Short and intense. I think it depends on the kid and what they need, right? Like when I did test prep, I did short and intense and that made sense for me. And I think that it makes sense for a lot of kids to do short and intense because it's like they, it's just, they're kind of in the mode, right? They're in like testing mode and it's like, Rip the, what am I saying? Rip the Band-Aid. That's what I'm trying to say. It's an immersive experience. <laughs> and you get You rip the Band-Aid off. You just do it. Yeah, yeah. just like head it's, down. Yeah, yeah. Like, it. let's just do it. Let's, this is miserable. So let's just, <laughs> nope, test prep. No kid has ever come to me and been like, you know what I love? Test prep. Test prep. No. I love my test prep tutor. It's so much no fun. Kid no, no it. kid loves no, it. No kid loves so it. So that's why I like the short intensive because you rip the Band-Aid off. You just do it. Take Agreed. a test. I think maybe long and drawn out is better for kids who really have like some content gaps. Like that's kind of my feeling just from that's like a learning, from a learning standpoint. Like if you have some content gaps, I really think long and drawn out makes sense. Yeah. To like really under- master some concepts that you're missing that are on the test. So anyways, that's my two cents. What are, yours? D- yeah, are you? Yeah. Good- what are you? I am short and intense. In Band-Aid. part Rip it off. because of how adolescent recall works. This is, you know, a lot of the ways that students prep or are encouraged to prep is not about long-term memory. It's not about retention of concepts over time. No, it's, it's about strategy. like strategy and can I execute the strategy and can I have like quick recall? And I think for like an adolescent brain, a lot of times I have found that it's more palatable for them and more they're more successful when they yeah. you know, really go hard in the paint for two months and then take the test in close proximity to when their prep finishes. Yeah. Do not do this. Do not have them prep July and August super intensely, and then they don't see a test again until oh, like that's February. Sure. Like even for kids who are long and drawn out, I would say you still need this like burst of intensity right before the test itself. Yeah, I mean, I would say if there is, you know, I might take a little bit of a different slant on the long and drawn out. You know, if there's real content gap, I might just move the timeline of the test. You know, I don't know. It's very individualized. I just don't, I think there is such a thing as starting test prep too early and you can reach a point of diminishing return. But I think that's one of those moments that would be pretty, pretty unique to the student. It would have to be a deeper conversation. So so this isn't prep exactly, but one of the things that I think is long and drawn out and it's just overall a good skill in life is to read. 
So like <laughs> one of the things that I find that my kids don't do is read. I'm like, you know what's going to help you with the right. reasoning, verbal reasoning? Right. <laughs> like read some books. Read. <laughs> read some you know what's going to help books. you? Yeah, what's going to help you with develop your vocabulary? Read. And you can do that right now, even though you're an eighth grader, like whatever, you know, like reading is so important. It's fundamental. It's so important. So many kids don't do it. It drives me insane. I'm like, um, have you ever read like a a news article ever? (laughs) Like just outside of class, like just one. Well, well, I actually think you're raising a really interesting (laughs) point that just occurred to me. Also, the way they read now, there's so much... Sound by yeah, yeah. Twitter feed kind of reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they're taking these standardized tests where they're in hour two or three of the standardized tests and they have to read like this long passage. passage. Carefully. Very but, carefully yeah. and discern main ideas and points from it. And it, it is kind of an endurance thing. So in that case, I'm a fan of long and drawn out. Draw that yeah. out for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Have your kids read for sure. Yeah. What about, so maybe we should talk more about types of prep. Because I have thoughts on if you're going to pay for prep, what it should look like. Oh, yes. I have thoughts, too. You go first, though. So there are some students that are self-motivated and disciplined enough to, in fact, prep themselves. You know, Khan Academy, they can work through the curriculum there. They can get a book. They can do some online stuff. And they will keep a steady clip. I think it's important. You should think about test prep as probably taking three to six hours of your week minimum, right? And, and this is where my bias comes in, and this is where I have a lot of beef with some test prep outfits. The whole point is to build capacity for students to take the whole test, not to take sections of the test at a time. Mm -hmm. So students should be regularly taking full-length timed practice tests. Mm -hmm. Now, they can do that at home, right? If you have that self-motivated kit, you could set a timer and they could take a full-length timed practice test once a week, once every two weeks. They should be doing that. They should be building their capacity, right? Because if they're untimed with the math section, yeah, they'll do well. There's no pressure there. So there are some students who can do that. A lot of students can't do that. A lot of students need, either they need additional strategy help. It's just they're not natural standardized test takers. And so they need a little guidance on methodology and they need the structure of either tutoring or a class or something right that's a huge one i would say you know one of the things i just wrote this email to a parent who was asking about test prep for their kid and i said test prep is such a grueling (laughs) and boring activity most kids are not going to have the self-discipline right to be able to force themselves to sit through it. Like that's the reality for yeah. most kids. And that's not about your kid. That's just about teenagers and developmentally. Well, and frankly, it's about the activity. It's about the activity. I mean, it's, and, and it's for like for any human to do something. Imagine parents, you are <laughs> being asked to, I'm trying to think of like, what's the paper? Like you're being asked to itemize your, like in preparation for your taxes, you're being asked to like go through all of your receipts and itemize them. Yeah. And you have to do that for three and a half hours Every week. Yeah. Plus an additional two hours of listening to somebody talk to you about how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's not very fun. No, it's not very fun. And it's, you're going to put it off, right? You're going to be like, but you know what? It's only. I've got time. It's It's like three months. 
Well, it's a year away, right? Why would I have to do this now? This is exactly how your kids feel. <laughs> They're right. like, the right. test, I'm not testing until August of next summer. Like, what is the big deal? I feel like, that way about getting do- my real ID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, I know I need it, but not yet. But not yet. They keep extending the deadline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and your kids are not going to be, this, you might have a You a, might. There's a couple. <laughs> And there's a couple who are – there are some students who are just natural test takers who right, actually right. don't require a lot of prep. Right. They can sit down. And they can they take the sit PSAT. and they can bang it out, no problem. They're like, I got this. It's not that hard, blah, blah, blah. There are PSAT. some of those. Oh, there are some of those. And, you know, lucky you if you got one of those. But most kids aren't like that. And I would say most students do need the structure of – a class or a tutor in order to actually force them to do some of the work that's required. To so some yeah. of my, you know, if you're thinking about test prep, some of the things that I would want to know and want to ask would be how often do students take timed full length practice tests as a part of your program? How do you help students decide between the ACT and the SAT? And if their response is, oh, we just have them prep for both. No. Run. <laughs> uh, no. Do not have your children prep for both the ACT and the SAT simultaneously. That is like Mm-mm. the biggest waste of their time. Such a I can't agree more. You're speechless. Uh, you speechless. Can't. Do you have kids do that? No. Not when they start working with me. But I have had kids come to me and been talking with parents and their parents have been in a process where they've started test prep and they're oh, doing both no. because they're going to sign up for both. And use the formal sittings of the test to determine. No, 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 no. Which, I know this was going to get you <laughs> mad. No, no, so, no, 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 no. The other thing, friends, is do not ever use a formal sitting of either the SAT or the ACT as like your test. Practice. As the practice as test. As the practice test to determine which which format is better for your child. They have full-length time practice tests. On the internets. On the interwebs. <laughs> You just need to clear off your kitchen table and set a timer, and you can answer that question. That's right. That's right. There's plenty of online resources. We should, me- we should mention there are lots of free online resources for test prep that are being offered by ACT and College Board mm-hmm. and places like Khan Academy. We're going to get Khan Academy to sponsor us. You listen to Sal Khan? Anyways, we'll, we'll tag him in this episode. <laughs> but what I would say is, you know, there are lots of online resources, so you can start getting a baseline of which test is preferable, right? Because it's not just about skill. It's also about preference. Like your kids get to choose. Here's my advice. Yeah. You pick a Saturday or a Sunday and you have your child take a practice SAT and replicate testing parameters as best you can. Yeah. The following weekend, and do this cold, by the way. Let them read the instructions and understand the format and how long it's going to be, but basically cold. Then the following Saturday or Sunday, have them do the ACT, again, following as the testing parameters as close as possible. Then the child should compare their scores and compare their experiences. Yep. So let's say the student markedly did better on one. Okay, well, that's some good information. Let's say they performed sort of the same on the conversion. But if they feel better about one of the tests, yep. that is huge. Yep. Go with the test that they feel better about, unless there's some huge score differential, right? because that's going to, they need to have as much positive feeling (laughs) and experience around these tests as humanly possible. And we get the, it surprises me that we still get this question, but we do get this question still. 
colleges have no preference between the SAT and the ACT. They don't care. So they don't go with the one that works best for your child. It's all about market share, people. College board's got the coasts and ACT's got the middle of the country. So ACT's gotten grabbed. Yeah. Some. Well, ACT's definitely grown. I mean, when I was, I'm from California. You're from oh, California. Oh, when we start, when we were in admission, nobody in California nobody took, took the ACT. ACT. But now it's, it's growing, which is great because it gives kids more choice. And I think choice right. is fantastic. And they are different tests. They're structured differently. They sort of. They cover different Cover stuff. different things. And so it is quite possible that some students will feel one test resonates with them more than the other. Yeah, the structure is a little bit different. You know, I've never taken ACT, so I can't speak to it from personal experience. But, you know, it's got a science section, which the SAT does not have. Which really isn't science. It's like it's, re- not, it's, it's reading, reading graphs. graphs. Yeah, they call it a science mm-hmm. section, but it's reading graphs. So if you have a kid who's, like, interested in numbers and data, like, they have good reasoning skills, numerical reasoning skills, like, this is could make sense. Very anecdotal. So again, it's very it varies depending on your child. But often the feedback I hear from students who take the ACT and I ask them why did you end up with that versus the SAT is they feel like the questions, the way the questions were worded yep. makes more sense to them. Yep, yep, yep. And that the sounds SAT more like a school test. Sounds more similar to what they're used yeah. to. Sometimes students who are more humanities focused feel like the ACT gives them more opportunity to sort of flex their critical reading. Mm-hmm writing muscles, Mm -hmm. but you'll hear just as many students who feel like the SAT is for them. Absolutely. So it's a personal preference. Colleges really don't have a preference. So you should feel free to choose the test that works best for you. And if you go through the steps of prepping and, you know, if your school offers PSAT, PACT now is more and more common, Mm -hmm. which is great. Take advantage of those. Use those as your practice, as they were meant to be. And if you do all of that and your kid is like, this is miserable. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> and look at my score. I've done, you know, I've been working with this tutor for a month now or two months now, and it's just not getting better and it's blah, blah, blah. Fine. Go optional. I don't think that totally. there's anything wrong with that, right? Like I have kids who go through test prep and their score just doesn't really get to the place that they want it to be. In a place where I would recommend them send it. But Kathy, why don't I just take this SAT a fourth time, a fifth time? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Is that... Okay, at some point, we're going to get diminishing returns, right? Like, you're just... You've kind of... Well, that's been studied. The first... Usually, it's the first to second sitting. If you're going to see a score jump, it's going to be between those two sittings. The second to third might maybe moderate gain. Right. After the third, Third, diminishing returns, friends. Big time. No point. Really no point. Yeah. And it's just, I think Mm -hmm. it's demoralizing. I think it like. Totally. Is a total waste of time. (laughs) Like there are so many more important ways you could be spending your weekends. Preparing to be a competitive applicant to college. Right. Working on those maturity skills. Indeed. Right. Let me ask you a question because I feel like this is going to be fun for you to answer. Oh, I sort of offered one of my pet peeves about mm-hmm. test prep is when I watch families spend all this money and they're getting, you know, their child is never taking a full length time to mm-hmm. test or they're double prepping. Mm-hmm. What would be some of the things you would want families to watch out for if mm. they're evaluating working with a test prep company that they're paying for? I would watch out for companies who will start with kids too early. Like a test prep company who, like, you should ask them, what age do you typically start working with mm-hmm. students, right? And if they're like, oh, it's seventh grade. Seventh grade. <laughs> 
We have students taking the full-length SAT since sixth grade. Oh, yes. And you know what? I've met those families and I've met those kids. And I'm like, Lord, that's not what you could have spent your time so much better developing different parts of yourself that are very important part of the college process. So much more important than this test. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's a good one. Anything else? What bothers me? We guarantee any of that language bother you? Well, just guarantees in general bother me. I mean, not on my like stove. That I appreciate. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. I meant warranties. <laughs> I thought you meant warranties. I was like, I meant warranties. I mean, I think you mean warranties. warranties. Yeah, warranties. I'm thinking of this because my oven's broken and because we have oh, a warranty. No. Yeah, I know. It's very upsetting. That but is upsetting. It's in warranty, so it's going to get, we're going to get it fixed. But on guarantees, like guarantees in general, I'd be wary of that type of marketing. Because I think it is marketing more than it is oh, anything for sure. else. For right? sure. Yeah. Ask about that data. Yeah. Okay. Like, what show kind me, of guarantees show me some are data. you trying what, – what kind of guarantees are you trying to give me? I can guarantee – we can guarantee that we'll improve your child's score in six weeks. You know, like whatever the stuff says. But no, I'm not a fan of that. I think that there are a lot of like tutors out there. Yeah. And some of them are good. So I don't want to like be down on individual tutors. And like a lot of these tutors get business through word of mouth, right? So they're yeah, hearing, families are hearing about them through other families who've had a good experience. I'm all about word of mouth. We get a lot of families through word Which of mouth. It doesn't actually speak to the quality of the tutoring, however. Right. It just could mean that your kid is lucky and got exactly. a good score. Well, that's, right? that's what I was So you say. need to be an educated consumer about what constitutes uh, like an expert opinion and experts at a skills like just because one family had a great experience in their kids right score or they got into x college right right (laughs) definitely don't make that the correlation well here is a peeve of mine um sat tutors who become college counselors i was just gonna say that that bothers me that bothers me a lot yep know your lane much like kathy and i do not offer test prep because lord knows you would never want us test prepping your children (laughs) that bothers me that bothers me that's often very bad advice i often find when they become college counselors the advice is not great yep it's just because you not always are helping kids with one part of the application all of a sudden you're an expert on the entire process i think the point is whenever you're encountering whether it's with a private college counselor or even with school personnel or tutors ask from whence they're deriving their claims, right? Like where are these claims that they're making about Mm -hmm. whatever it is they're making claims about is coming from, you know, if they say, Oh, well, I know that the, I've heard this a little bit sort of trafficking and rumor around, well, yeah, this school is test optional, but right. Ask them, like, did someone who works in that admission office tell you that? And if the answer is no, don't listen to that. Well, we just we were doing a little research before the show to see like the number of kids who submitted a score. And I think in 2021 it was like le- a little less than half of applicants, right? Just right. under 50% submitted right. a test score. And then I was looking at a, another, I don't know if it was a testing company or if it was a college prep company that broke out data by like the number of kids who were accepted who submitted scores and the number of kids versus the kids who didn't. 
So it was showing at certain universities, the kids who submitted scores had a, I don't know their methodology. I didn't look at it that carefully, but they were saying like, oh, kids who submitted scores had a we're one point, yeah, at a higher rate, 1.5 times the rate a kid who didn't submit scores. You're shaking your head for those of you who aren't watching us on video. I feel the same way. Why do you feel that way, Meredith? Because that's manipulating statistics. I right. Mean, let's consider the exactly. volume differential. Let's consider the idea that many of the students who submit tests skew higher with the test scores because otherwise they wouldn't be submitting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes my eyelid twitch. You can't. Yeah, exactly. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, Lord. I'm not, So I would be... A, just be wary. Yeah. And be a I would savvy shopper. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Be a, a conscious consumer. Don't buy into the hype that, oh, well, you know, kids at Georgetown who submitted a score got in one point. Well, you, the, poor George, example. Poor example, because Georgetown. Georgetown. So we actually should say that there are a limited number of college. That's perfect. Perfect. Weird. <laughs> perfect segue. Unintentional segue. <laughs> there are a limited number of schools that require, still require testing. And Georgetown is one of them. MIT is one of them. Yeah. The University of Florida is one of them. Yep. Silliness. I find that to be dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Real, real. It's pretty dumb. I know. And we saw all the, you know, when MIT changed their policy because they were test optional and they became test mandatory and they said that, I mean, it was their statement around it. We won't get into it in this episode, but basically all of our friends and our colleagues in admissions were like- Eye rolling. It's so eye rolling. Like this is like the biggest load of BS we've ever heard. Sorry, MIT, but we're calling you out. Okay. Yeah. It's because it's self-serving. Like whatever. Like just say that. Like we like to show that we have tact. We want to sort. We want to sort, sort applicants based on this data. Yeah, say that. Don't you can't double speak and then in the same breath talk about your holistic admission practices. Like right, and how it's all about equity. But that's not I'm what like, this. Well, is. they did say it was public. Okay, sir. Woo! Anyways, I really am getting annoyed with colleges weaponizing equity. That word. I know it's so Sorry. annoying. Anyways. We're digressing again. What were we talking about before? Sorry. Oh, Georgetown. Oh, yeah. The 1.5 times, blah, blah, blah. So I saw the statistic in the many graphs that they had on their blog post. And I was like, you know what? That really, again, it's it's like misleading, fear mongering type of marketing, I feel like, Mm -hmm. because it's just, yeah, it doesn't, that number doesn't give you the whole story. Right. And the context of what's happening. Right. Right. So... Anywho, there are plenty of kids who are getting to highly selective colleges who are not submitting test scores. It does actually happen. It totally happens. Yep. In fact, our data suggests that it happens more than not. Yep. Because more than not, students are not submitting test scores, at least in 2021. We haven't seen a lot of 2022 data yet, but they're probably, you know, that'll come out soon. So I guess our sort of, should you take standardized tests or not? Do you submit those scores or not? A lot of it is... Try it out. See how that goes. But don't insist on continuing to travel down a path once you have some concrete information that it's not the right path for your child, right? Yep. And recognize that standardized testing, increasingly, I think, from a college's perspective, is just frankly not that significant in the review, that they're really looking for the characterological qualities that make for successful college students. So listen up to our episode about developing maturity, because that's going to be a much more powerful and persuasive component of whether of a review process, I think. Agreed. 
100%. Me and you agreeing, Meredith? Shocking. Real shocking. Have we answered all? What other? Do we get any other questions around standardized testing? Because I know this is a hot topic. Hmm. Not that I can think of, but, you know, if you have a question about standardized testing that you want us to answer, we will answer it. So email us. Amazing. Right? Hello at wespeakteen.com. You can email us at any time, ask us any question about testing or otherwise, and we will absolutely answer it. Or you can message us on our Insta, our Facebook. We will read those messages as well and answer your questions. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Peace out.